You're listening to The Block Experience, all things decentralized and open source. Enjoy. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt the podcast here. I just want to say this episode of The Block Experience is brought to you by our first sponsor, PrimeXBT. Whether you're looking to trade some of your favorite cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, Ethereum and Litecoin, or even venture into other markets, PrimeXBT always has you covered. PrimeXBT offers traders access to a large variety of markets including cryptocurrencies, stock indices, commodities and even forex pairs. And also have some incredible features such as anonymous accounting, uh, Bitcoin deposits and withdrawals, industry leading security and even the ability to offer 1000 times leverage. I've personally been using PrimeXPT for my trading uh, for the past few months and have had a great experience using the platform, uh, also using the platform's customer service. So I'm really proud that they're supporting this episode of the podcast, uh, bringing you guys a free podcast every week. A link to the services PrimeXPT provide will be below, also a link to sign up to a new account. Uh, so thanks again, PrimeXPT, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Um, and yeah, I hope you continue and like the podcast. Enjoy. So firstly, just want to say, Jeremy, a huge thanks for coming on because I know there's probably a lot of people wanting your time or I know you're a really busy guy with a bunch of different projects on. So firstly, just thanks for coming on and having a little chat with me today. Um, really appreciate that. Um, for those who don't know you, do you want to just give a little introduction into um, yourself and what, currently what you're working on in the space? Sure. So I'm a serial founder and investor in the blockchain and crypto asset space uh in 2014 i founded the blockchain education network it's a global educational nonprofit through that nonprofit i met joey krug who i would co-found augur with which was a, pretty much the first decentralized application project on top of ethereum first utility token and the first ico on that platform uh after that i joined Blockchain Capital as an entrepreneur in resident, invested in several startups, uh, and also started uh, Distributed Magazine with the owners of Bitcoin Magazine, uh, as well as Sava, uh, Enterprise Security uh, startup. And most recently in the crypto space, I launched Awesome Ventures, uh, a hybrid venture hedge fund focused on the intersection of blockchain technology and crypto assets and social impact right. a bunch of different things there which yeah. we could dive into firstly i guess just to stay on topic with this week um how's this week been for you i know this this week's been crazy in general uh, not only for the crypto space but pretty much the entire world seems to be collapsing around us how has your week been i hope not too bad uh, I mean, it's not the first time I've seen my net worth collapse by, you know, <laughs> double digits. Uh, so it, it doesn't it doesn't really have an effect on me. It's funny. I would I decided to go on BitMEX uh, two days ago. Uh, just randomly, I was I, I had all my inbox cleared. I was like, I figured I know like kind of the resistance points for Bitcoin and right. Ether. Let's go. Let's go under the casino. And so. <laughs> As my net worth was collapsing, because I still have, would say 75% of my net worth is in crypto and crypto-related ventures. Right. Um, I was like going leverage short, leverage long, uh, and uh, having a good old time. I mean, you, you, you kind of have to 
take it all with a grain of salt. Uh, if you're bullish on the long term, ecosystem, uh, you don't really worry about what happens in the short term. You know, what's nice is that I made more Bitcoin and I, I made more Ether. So <laughs> while while they may have gone down in value, I accumulated more and it's all about stacking sats, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. I think once you've been in the space for like maybe a few years, I've, I've, I've only been in the space three years myself, but you sort of get used to these huge drops and like even 50%, it does hurt a little bit, but it's not it's not too outrageous. You can still handle it. No, you, you just you just come to terms with it. Right. it you're, yeah. you're, 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 it's the wild west and it's an industry that's still evolving. It's still maturing. We don't have circuit breakers. I think we should have them. Mm. Um, uh, but it's it, it's the nature of a brand new financial technology. And uh, I'm really, I'm as bullish as I've ever been on, on crypto, if not more so. I, I really think it's a resilient um, sector. And I think this almost inevitable re recession that's about to uh, come on, it, is going to prove that to the world that I think cryptos will rebound much faster and much stronger than almost any other asset class, similar to how gold performed after 08. Yeah, I think like the past few years, a lot of people have been saying that um, Bitcoin's a huge hedge against the banks, against um, the US dollar. But I guess this week we have seen like huge, a huge drop. Do you think it takes away from that notion that it is a hedge against the banks? What do you think so I, I so I developed a thesis around what would happen to crypto in the event of an economic downturn um, as early as 2015 I want to say I, I, I've, I'd have to look back at the talks I've given over the years but I, I've been saying this for a long time when a recession comes or depression comes or a massive economic downturn occurs, Bitcoin will be affected. Crypto assets will be affected. Um, but the difference is, is how they perform in the weeks, months, years afterwards. Right. And that's what a hedging instrument is. A hedging instrument can go down uh, in the wake of, an, uh, of a downturn. It just has to perform better afterwards. And so what I look for is Bitcoin and Ether outperforming other assets over the next year now. Yes, they've under underperformed. They've gone down more than almost any other asset class in the past week or two. Uh, but in the next year or two years, what I would suspect and where my money is betting is that they will wildly outperform traditional equities, treasuries, bonds, um, and all of their currencies. And, 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 and this is really the time for crypto assets to shine. In the short term, yeah, now people are going to disparage uh, Bitcoin and say, oh, I thought this was an uncorrelated safe haven asset. It's like, no, it's liquid. It's traded 24-7. It's totally going to respond to news and economic downturns in the same way all other assets and investments do. It's how it responds in the medium to long term that really matters. Yeah, it's, it's really fucking insane because um, I think everybody was watching last night as like Trump did his um, press conference. And it, it was funny. Oh, yeah. It was funny to see when Trump was speaking, like the price of Bitcoin pretty much identically like correlated to the S&P 500. So I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. 
but I think yeah i mean i i all assets at a macro level tend to be loosely correlated. Uh, there are always exceptions, but when you're talking, when you're in times of uncertainty, people want one thing and they want their wealth to be usable and accessible. And that's typically in the form of cash. Right. You know, until Bitcoin is as prevalent as cash and as useful as cash, people are not going to run to it. Just like they're not running to gold right now. Because the fact is, is that gold isn't that useful if the economy is falling apart. Yeah. I also said this a few weeks ago where everyone's been talking about a lot of institutional investors and huge whales coming into the space to like flood us with um, like new, take us to all time highs. But I guess then if like if, if the economy starts collapsing, everyone wants to just get into fiat and get into cash. So we're expecting these all time highs, but also we should be expecting all time lows if we've got these institutions and like high, uh, high net worth whales investing in the space, they want to get out as soon as, as soon as everything starts going bad, you know? Uh, you know, I have mixed feelings on that. Like, like I'm not a good short term trader, but like, I'll tell you that I, I was talking with my investment committee at, at my fund, awesome ventures. And, uh, you know, we had long discussions about whether do we exit this due to Corona and, we didn't have enough conviction to exit our positions, but we came very close to liquidating our entire positions in preparation for what happened two days ago. And if we had done that, which we didn't, um, you know, I would be more than happy to be buying right now. Uh, dollar cost averaging, probably, you know, buying in weekly yeah. um, for the foreseeable future. But I think it's a great time to buy. I've got lots of friends actually reaching out to me being like, I saw Bitcoin went down a bunch. Should I buy? I'm like, honestly, why not? Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not an investment professional. I'm not going to give you actual advice, but like, this is a very palatable price for Bitcoin because the technology hasn't changed. Um, Ethereum hasn't changed. Nothing mm -hmm. has changed. Honestly, I mean, it's getting it, better. Technically. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the DeFi ecosystem, yeah. it really survived that market crash. I mean, this is a, uh, we're developing resilience. So I'm as bullish as I've ever been, like I said before, and more so, I mean, if I had more uh, cash on hand, I'd be buying crypto. I mean, I bought, I went, I went levered long at when ETH hit $85, I went 50 X margin long on BitMEX. I mean, I was like, this is a bottom. Like, this is crazy. Uh, so, you, you know, you, you, you have to understand the risks. But if you understand the risks and then understand the underlying technology, you know, nothing has changed about Bitcoin or Ethereum or any other crypto assets due to coronavirus. Like, yeah, miners are mildly affected, but honestly, these are very uncorrelated assets in the grand scheme of things. And plus, it's a great time to buy them. Uh, this downturn is strictly influenced by macroeconomic factors. Uh, it's not being influenced by anything happening within the crypto asset ecosystem. And thus, if you have conviction on the crypto asset ecosystem, uh, you can only look at these prices and be like, wow, everything is on fire sale right now. Yeah, so I, I'm super bullish. I've never been more bullish. Like, every, this is all driven by f uh, panic and fear spread by obviously the coronavirus, which is a terrible thing. But um, I think like the last time we saw like a crash like this was like 2008, I guess, 2009. And then even before that, I think it was like early 1900s. 
But now we have the internet and things like that. It's so easy to spread fear. Like anyone can just spread, like post a tweet or post something and just spread fear and just market just reacts. It's remarkable. It's remarkable the prevalence of misinformation. I mean, right. it's so frequently that I'm on Instagram and I see my friends reposting misinformation about coronavirus, about the the government, all, all, all sorts of things. And I'm like, just go on Google before you post this stuff. And, and it's funny because these are people that I often really respect. And it's so easy to just repost a meme or something that you find mind boggling that isn't actually true, but it, it reconfirms your pre-existing beliefs. And, and, and it's quite dangerous. Uh, and, and obviously in the world of crypto, misinformation is rampant because it's so highly technical that nobody really knows what right. they're talking about. So it makes it even worse. But uh, social media is truly to a degree a blight on society, but it can be a force for good as well. Hey everybody, sorry to interrupt the podcast here. I just want to give a big shout out to our second sponsor of this episode, DAPS. DAPS is a planned privacy blockchain with a focus on security, scalability, and total privacy. The goal of DAPS protocol is to create a fully autonomous staking coin and payment system with trustless governance structure. Based upon the latest technologies which we have seen from projects such as Monero and PVIX. The main goal of DAPS is to anonymize assets and secure an infrastructure for development of further precedented setting technologies. Privacy is DAPS's main goal. And if you really are interested in using a payment system which is completely decentralized and with trustless governance, um, be sure to check them out. I'll put a link down below to all of their websites and their white paper uh, if you're interested in taking a look into the project. Um, But yeah, big thank you to DAPS for sponsoring this episode. And I hope you guys enjoy. And let's get back to the episode. I was going to ask you about like, so obviously you personally invested in crypto and like you don't really bother with this drop. drop. with Asim Ventures, how do you, how do how do you, how have you felt the impact of that on like traditional businesses? Because obviously, I think you you invested also in traditional business businesses, if I'm correct. We invest in like equity based businesses that typically have some connection to uh, crypto assets and blockchain technology. Right. Sometimes they're they're more within the realm of our social impact thesis. Um, but yeah, I, I mean. Everyone feels this right now. Um, every, everyone um, feels the impact of coronavirus. Like, you know, I'm launching a men's skincare brand, which is really direct to consumer. We're not focused right. on retail. And um, I'm looking at direct to consumer trends. Like, those trends are, you know, slightly downward, even though de- direct to consumer businesses, in theory, would be booming. You know, people just aren't spending money right now. People are buying like toilet paper, hand sanitizer, basic necessities. Uh, they're quarantining themselves, but they're not. The, the commercial or, or retail spending is just down across all sectors. Right, and besides, besides uh, bare essentials. Right, and I actually remember what I was going to say to you. Um, so every time we've seen a halving of Bitcoin, let's say in in the past since its existence, there's always this spiky sell-off right before the halving where. Uh, market manipulators will try and squeeze out some weak hands to get a lower price on Bitcoin before the halving. Do you reckon this could have like sort of, this is like the perfect storm combined with that. And then they could have just like spread a little bit of panic, knock the price down, and then they'll just step in 
halving happens, and then we're just back up. So I remember uh, back in it must have been, it was what it was 2015. Yep. Yeah, it was uh, that. That's really when I bought in most of it because the last having was in 2016, if I'm correct. Um, regardless, I remember everyone was like, "Oh, the price, the the the, the price is fixed in." And I'm like, I, I, "I don't know about that." So I went all in, all all the money I made, my back fit, pay for Mogger, really everything. I, I I went all in on crypto back in 2015. Um, and then obviously crypto has performed incredibly well relative to the price back then. And so I'm very skeptical of, of people applying like traditional uh, market assumptions um, to crypto assets because I think it's a highly irrational market. Um, the real thing you have to pay attention to is minor economics. Uh, right now, miners are getting squeezed and with the halving coming, um, they're going to be squeezed even more, and there, there are a lot of externalities from that. I'm not the right person to talk to about those externalities because I it's not a, a, an area I really pay close attention to. But um, minor economics right now are not looking good, and with the new supply about to cut in half, they're looking even worse. And so the real question is, is how much are they hoarding? Are the miners holding a huge amount of Bitcoin and Ether, uh, assuming the price is going to go up when the supply cuts in half? Or have they been consistently selling? If they've been consistently selling and now the price is down, uh, it means their economics aren't very good. If their economics are good right now and, and they're able to hoard, then you should be less concerned. And so... Uh, there's a lot to pay attention to there, and I, I, I definitely wouldn't be the right expert to talk to about yeah, it. I, I completely understand. I also think that Ethereum has the, the better year, fundamentally speaking. Um, Ethereum looks so bullish right now, and like there's no difference. We're coming up to like obviously phase zero of Ethereum 2.0 will be released uh, end of summer, I think. I think that's a, I think I would personally say that. ETH 2.0 is a bigger deal than the uh, Bitcoin halving. As someone that has been building on Ethereum before it was even launched, um, I'll say never never trust Ethereum launch dates. <laughs> uh, but I think it is a very big deal. Um, for, for applications like Augur, at least, it's a game changer. It's going to make everything faster, more efficient, more dynamic, and make blockchain technology exponentially more scalable. So yeah, I think it's a much bigger deal, but the difference between uh, the ETH upgrade and the halving is we know when the halving's gonna happen. We don't actually know when ETH is gonna upgrade. But in terms of the impact on price, I would argue that the halving will have a more immediate uh, impact on price, let's say on a six to 12 month time horizon. Um, but the ETH upgrade on a three or, or let's say one to three year time horizon is, is much more significant. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's take a step back. Let's, why don't you tell everybody if they don't know, I'm sure they do, but uh, a little bit about Augur, um, first. Sure. Um, Augur is a decentralized prediction market platform built on top of Ethereum. The best way to think about a prediction market it's, it's a stock market 
for anything that's going to occur in the future with a determinable outcome. So will Donald Trump be reelected? Will the Earth end tomorrow? Uh, uh, will, uh, will like a meteor strike Earth? Uh, I, you can use it for all sorts of deterministic outcomes. And you buy and sell shares uh, based off of what you believe the probability of the event is going to be. So um, the price can be between in, in a traditional prediction market between a penny and a dollar. And the, the more people believe and the more shares that are being bought in a certain direction, um, that affects the price per share. So if less people believe Donald Trump's going to be um, reelected due to coronavirus, the price for a yes share of him being reelected may have been 60 cents two months ago. Today, maybe 40 cents. Um, and, and it allows the wisdom of the crowds to take place and people to really put their money where their mouth is when betting on the future. I don't know if this is true, but do you feel like, like, obviously, do you think that platform is a lot more, act like, in times where the world is collapsing, like, I'm sure it's a lot more active activity on Orga, like, with stuff to do with, like, the coronavirus and stuff, or is that not really a thing? So, so right now it's not active at all because, uh, Augur 2.0 is about to launch, yep. should be within the next month. So there have been no new bets for several months. Uh. Um, but Augur 1.0 was really just like, it was low throughput and uh, it, it wasn't a great UX. They just wanted to get it launched. Augur 2.0 is about to be way more user-friendly and accessible. And thus, uh, I, 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 I'd imagine in times like these, Augers should see huge amounts of volume because there's so much uncertainty in the world. And that provides an excellent time um, for hedging um, on the future. And, uh, and that's what Augur enables. Right. And how did you come about with the idea of like working on Augur or starting Augur? So Joey and I had met through the Blockchain Education Network. We were actually working on a point of sale system for credit cards and crypto back in 2014. Um, but we decided to drop out of school to focus on that, Par teamed up with another startup that was trying to figure out what to do. And then we all stumbled upon a white paper called Truthcoin by a gentleman named Paul Stork for a decentralized prediction market platform built on top of Bitcoin. And we read that and we were like, we should try to build this. It's, it's a pretty really cool project to work on because I guess like prediction markets like super cool and like you can pretty much bet on anything so it's pretty interesting yeah um was this when what, what, what year was this sorry 2014 so was that around the same time as um the crypto castle or before so so that led to the crypto castle so we decided to build what would become auger we moved up to San Francisco we initially got this dingy two-bedroom ba two basement apartment in San Francisco called what I called the Bitcoin basement. Uh, and then uh, when we raised a little bit of money and uh, I found us a bigger house, I jokingly called it the Crypto Castle. Uh, but the name took a life of its own and uh, has thus spawned into a real sort of brand. Because was it just the people, I'm guessing you, you the guys who founded Olga were living there 
Oh, that time. It was, it was a, what we called a office. It was our house in a, in a, and an office because we couldn't afford one of each. <laughs> and uh, it had the sweet, it, well, it has sweeping views of San Francisco, but the name was pretty, it was, it was a joke. And then, you know, Vitalik was staying at our house one day and a journalist came by to interview him. And then she was so interested by our crypto castle that she wrote an article about it. And then one thing led to another, and it became this kind of cultural landmark within the crypto sphere. And then I opened one down here as well, and it hosted all sorts of interesting people, launched lots of interesting startups, uh, funds, minted multiple millionaires. Uh, it's been a, quite a ride for my what are effectively just the houses I rent. Sorry to interrupt the podcast again here. I just want to give a big shout out to our third sponsor of this episode, Axie Infinity. You may have heard a few weeks ago I did a uh, a podcast episode with Axie Infinity's co-founder Jiho, where we talked about the importance of gaming uh, on the Ethereum blockchain and the impact it will have over the coming years. Well, Axie Infinity is now a sponsor of this podcast and do some incredible work uh, inside the Ethereum community. Uh, Axie Infinity is a Ethereum-based game, like I said, where you can breed, collect, or even buy uh, Axie Infinities from the marketplace. Um, then you can level them up, face face off against friends, uh, send your Axies into duels and tournaments, and earn yourself some really neat rewards, such as Ethereum or in-game items that you can use to level up your characters even further. Uh, outsmart the meta by breeding new Axies uh, to gain an edge in a battle, or set up a shop as an Axie breeder and supply Axies to the rest of the community where you can earn yourself um, some Ethereum. Uh, I will put uh, a link to all of the services Axie Infinity provide and even a link to sign up to the game down below. Uh, if you would like to check them out, then please feel free to. Um, once again, um, thank you so much for Axie Infinity for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I think the product is a real resemblance of this podcast and something that we truly inspire to uh, look forward to in the space. So, yeah, we're really excited to see where Axie go in the next few coming weeks. Um, but yeah, it sort of seems to be like a place where like uh, entrepreneurs and like investors can drop in, or is it? Yeah, not? yeah. It's all. It's it's all. You know, you need to know someone that lives there. It's not. It's just the doors aren't just open. They are private residences, but if you know me or you know someone or you reach out to someone that lives in the house, you know, typically we'll have people over. We we host happy hours. We have barbecues, parties. Uh, you know, try we. the point was back in 2014 to have a gathering spot for the crypto community because even in San Francisco back then, there, there were no Bitcoin centers. There were no blockchain centers. The meetups were small. There were no there are no uh, social gathering points. And, and we try to create that sort of uh, shelling point uh, for people to go go and meet. I guess also it works because it also works really well because when you've got those entrepreneurs or investors or anyone in a, in a room, you can just like feed off each other um, and like work together on different projects. And I guess it just get, it grows and grows and grows. I mean, that is my only possible explanation for how we've had you know, these two houses where, you know, over a half dozen people have become millionaires in just a few years. The average rent is less than $2,000 a month, you know. 
<laughs> it's about the hive mind. It's about that kind of collective brilliance of everybody around you. And I did hear you move into LA now, right? Yeah, that's the next plan. So you're gonna New have crypto another crypto castle? castle? Yep, uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna go get a big old house in the hills overlooking the city. Uh, you know, the idea is that with each house to upgrade a little bit further, do it a little bit nicer. Uh, and uh, it works because you know, you know, my my definition of success is the ability to uplift those around you, and when everyone around you is doing well you're all doing well together, you can afford cooler and, and more expensive things and nicer, nicer houses to rent. And uh, it, all, it all kind of comes together really well. That's so amazing. Um, so I have a question to do with uh, ASIM Ventures. So obviously, uh, it's a venture fund focused on like blockchain and also a bit of social impact. Um, how do you determine or what's the process of determining what companies like need money and more companies just want money when it comes to like investing in these uh, companies well when it comes to startups all startups need and want money i uh, <laughs> i mean unless unless you just raised a massive round you know the whole reality of running a startup is startups are typically not cash flow positive you're whether it's due to new hires or ad spend or technology development, R&D, you know, you're almost always in the red. And so, so that that's not the question we have to ask ourselves. The question we have to ask ourselves, are these founders extraordinary? Is their vision on point? Do they have the capacity to change the world and make it better? And if, if they check off that criteria, that then we consider writing them a check. Right. Uh, their their need or want for money is fairly irrelevant. You know, sometimes I'll see a startup and you know they'll have just raised a round, or the founder will be bootstrapping and not ready to raise a round. But I'll be like, take my money anyway. I want a stake in what you're building. Right. So you invest. You're pretty much investing in the actual in the founder themselves instead of the actual company. Yeah, I'd say given how early stage uh, I personally invest at, and even with the fund, we're, if, if the founder isn't a good fit, um, we're not going to invest. But, but the vision is important, but it's, uh, it's very holistic. It, 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 the actual startup itself is less important because these companies pivot. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they figure out what to build if, if they're led by the right team and have the right employees. Yeah, that makes sense. What type of um, like industries and markets are you excited to see grow over the next like five to ten years? Obviously, blockchain is one of them. I know that. Um, well, I I, th I I think the whole idea of financial inclusion um, is still something that the crypto space hasn't figured out. Financial services in general haven't figured out. You know, there is a large swath of the global population, billions of people, that do not have access to traditional financial services. And that hinders economic growth um, and social growth. And, and, and without that, without people being um, able to engage in, in the economy, um, humanity is impeded. And so that it's really important for me uh, to see that the tools are created to bring more people into the global economy. So but, Bank India Unbanked really? 
Yeah, or or unbanking the bank. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it can go in both directions. Uh, but but then you know I'm really excited about cannabis and other plant medicines. Uh, I I think there's been tremendous growth in the past decade, both in the legalization, decriminalization, and recre recreationalization of uh, of cannabis. But we're now going to see a similar trend with psychedelic medicine. Um, and I think those have the potential to radically alter and improve how we treat and assess uh, sickness and mental illness. And those are some of the biggest blights that exist on humanity today. And so providing treatments that humans have been using for centuries but in the past, you know, 50, 70 years have been criminalized and made totally illegal. Uh, you know, revisiting the pre-existing research, conducting new research to see how plant medicine can help humanity um, is something that I'm incredibly passionate about. Uh, just uh, growing consciousness. Uh, and that's, uh, that, that's something I would really keep an eye on. And then robotics and artificial intelligence, obviously, really uh, about to hit hockey stick level growth, uh, where where you're dealing with the power of exponents. AI is about to get really, really smart, really, really powerful. It, it's both dangerous and also potentially incredibly powerful uh, for to humanity's benefit if harnessed the right way. And so an area that I'm investing in and keeping close tabs on. Super cool. It's hard for me to personally to judge like the cannabis and the psychedelic market because obviously I live in the UK uh, where everything is just banned and we don't have like obviously you have states so you can see like oh this state just got legalized. That's some um, adoption. But obviously in the UK we have nothing. So I guess we're just looking at the US and just determining um I guess when determining when's the right area to enter into that market, you know. There's so there's actually some good psychedelic research going on at Oxford and Cambridge right now. There has been for some time. Uh, so from an academic perspective, uh, the UK actually has been at the forefront on psychedelics, but uh, in terms of regulations, not so much. You're right. Yeah, it's not something I'm, I'm going to pretend to know anything about, to be honest. Um, do you want to? Uh, tell us a little bit about Made Man just before we finish up because I, I know that's something you've dedicated a lot of time to recently. Um, sure, I just yeah, about yeah. It there's not much about it online. Um, no, not yet. There will be soon. Um, so like at the end of 2018, I was just so burnt out from the, the bull market, from crypto in general. Um, my fund was up and running. We had a proper thesis in line. I had a team helping me manage all my investments and I, I had just moved to Miami and I had a lot of free time and I was thinking, you know, maybe it's time to start something totally new and what could be more different that, from crypto than cosmetics. Uh, and I saw a real opportunity in that, you know, 50% of men don't take care of their skin. And even though once you learn about it, Skincare is as common sense as brushing your teeth or using deodorant. Right. And so I, I, I saw a massive market opportunity to make skincare super easy and accessible for men, taking, you know, the 
five to seven components of an active skincare regimen and, and boiling it down to two super simple, easy to use skincare products for men, uh, an all-in-one moisturizer and a two-in-one shaving cream and facial cleanser. And it's really all a guy needs uh, to take care of their face and their skin, uh, which is far simpler than anything else that exists on the market. Very fun, totally unrelated to crypto, but I'm really enjoying myself uh, building this company. No, it's super cool to see like you diversify it. Like, it's such a completely different thing. Um, it's super cool to see, but it must be pretty competitive, that, like that market. Like, it's actually not. I'm. If you think of men's skincare brands, typically guys can name one or two. Like there's, you've got Kiehl's and Neutrogena. But th what I'll tell you is from actually building this sort of myself, it's the barriers to entry are really fucking high. I mean, starting a skincare company is not easy. If you're creating novel formulations, you know, you need a chemist, you need R&D labs, you need manufacturing partners. I mean, it is expensive. I mean, I have will put in well over half a million dollars just to launch this thing. I mean, these are not, it's not a cheap undertaking. It's not like a software startup where you just need to be right. able to write code uh, and then just like deploy it and get users. Like there are a lot of upfront material costs to launching a business like this. So it's competitive in that sense is that in that you have incumbents in the skincare and cosmetic space that, you know, have the budgets for this, but nobody has really invested that much into men's skincare. And so it's a, it's a big opportunity that I'm, uh, I'm really jumping on. I think not only from like a, a actual competitive product type of view, but also I guess it's sort of in that personal brand, uh, personal brand, right? Category, not a personal brand, sorry. Like, a what do you call it? Um, I'm not sure the word, but like yeah, building brand around a product is pretty Personal hard. Care. Yeah, right. And like, how has that been? Like trying to build a brand around Made Man? Well, I mean, that's the point of, uh, that, that's the, point of the name is Made Man. It's, I, I, I think one of the biggest plights on society today is that, you know, men are very consumed by superficial things, like what watches right. or cars they have what clothes or designer brands they wear. And as someone that lives a very good life, you know, I'll be the first person to tell you that doesn't matter. Like I may have made a lot of money in crypto, but like my money does not go towards that superficial shit. Like my most expensive personal belonging is my cell phone. And you can live a great life if you just invest in yourself. And, and, and that is the purpose behind this brand to make men realize that just invest in yourself and be the best version of you and you can live really well. And, 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 and that's kind of the mission of, of this company moving forward. Lifestyle brand. That's the word I was thinking of a lifestyle. Yeah. Brand. Yeah. Um, so obviously just before we close up, when is made man, like when are you going live or when is it launching? Quarter three, I'd say probably probably a September launch. Pre-orders before then. We'll start doing events. Uh, start doing marketing uh, sooner. The the website should go live in the next few weeks. Uh, but it's it, I, I'm I'm gonna make sure I get this launch right. 
You won't be able to miss it when we launch. <laughs> I'm sure I won't. Um, do you want to give a big, big shout out to like where people can find you on Twitter or uh, Made yeah. Man? So on, so my website and Instagram is Gonzo Gardener or GonzoGardener.com. Um, my Twitter is Disruptopreneur, and then uh, for Made Man, it's just at Made Man on on Twitter and Instagram or GetMadeMan.com. Um, but you you look up Jeremy Gardner on the internet, and I'm, and I'm not too hard to track down. For sure. Thanks. Thank you so much for coming on today. My pleasure, man.